Hello, and welcome to Plain Sight, presented by Invisible. This podcast feed shares Socratic dialogue with invisible partners and allies, where we discuss and challenge our values and principles and have honest discussions about the world. We hope that in doing so, we can see things outside of our plain sight with 2020 vision. Let's go. Welcome to the Plain Sight podcast. Uh, we're switching it up a little bit. In the past, Francis has been going around and interviewing team members. Uh, and now we're going to interview some advisors. Uh, and so welcome, Aki Balok, to our, our new uh, advisor, Plain Sight podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited. Uh, Aki has worked in AI for a long time. So he has some special insight, insider knowledge into this field that has just totally revolutionized everything over the past three months, although not everything. I think the funniest thing that happened that I've realized over the over the past month is particularly related to the hallucinations and 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 how often it lies to me. But because mm-hmm. it's so confident uh, in its in its lies, similar to humans, uh, similar <laughs> to some humans, um, uh, it it gets me and I'm thinking, OK, this is great. Um, and now I'm realizing I have to check it as much as I check any person, maybe more. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's just like having a free intern, uh, but a really knowledgeable, really diligent intern that never sleeps and can do things, you know, continuously if you set it up that way. But yeah, you still need to check it. Definitely one of the steps in the process is quality control. Um, always with any technology, um, you know, Wikipedia, looking like Googling something, looking at Wikipedia, you still also want to check that. Um, so yeah, we can get into that. My, my father actually is a scientific, runs a scientific journal. He's been a scientist. So the peer review system is still alive and well in different ways. Yeah, interesting. How is AI going to change peer to peer review, if at all? Well, you know, and, and we can, I mean, we can kind of talk about this in any order, but there's a sort of pyramid of, you know, data and information and knowledge and wisdom. And, and you know, humans are really good at the synthesis of things and having ideas. I mean, ideas are really networks comprised of, you know, individual data points and so on. And so the, you know, technology, like starting with the internet, you had now more data, just numbers and, you know, the ability to make, you know, connections or kind of the ability to just read stuff without going to a library. Then you had social media and messaging, which is the ability for humans to make connections and, you know, find each other and kind of, you know, connect into communities and so on. Now, you know, that the ability like AI now, this sort of AI brings the ability to just, you know, crunch a bunch of data and give you like, you know, kind of uh, certain templated approaches or kind of, you know, get information from the data. I would call this information, but then it's still human synthesizing. And then, you know, wisdom, somebody who's a subject matter expert or experienced in a field can detect, you know, what's not here, what seems off, like, hey, my gut's telling me something off, or, oh, I've seen this pattern before. And so a number of very knowledgeable people in a peer review system or in, you know, a process is is definitely still quite, you know, quite valid, depending on what the task is, of course, if the task is something you know that requires high functioning analysis or thoughtfulness then then it's very much needed so for example for my father you know scientific publishing was more impacted through open access journals the ability for these journals to be out there but ai is terrible at you know generating you know novel research of course that's probably the farthest away from his capabilities and so my dad just wrote something on his journal um called Are We There Yet? about AI. And it's basically saying like, don't like for the types of papers that they're consuming, don't use AI to like generate a section of your paper. It's just not, it's like nobody wants that. Scientists can smell from a mile away and it doesn't help. Versus like marketing content, which I built a business around for eight years, you know, there is a technical component to it, but you really just need a lot of content covering various aspects of a topic. And so there's a lot more automation for that, you know, purpose. So, um, uh, and they're both, you know, parts of publishing, uh, but different in many ways. Mm. That's really interesting. You mentioned AI and not being there yet in terms of actually changing the whole game for peer review because of scientific research. What do you think is like, where does AI fit into scientific research, like at that lower level, like a pre-intern or where, where does that, where does that happen? 
So I would say it's it's almost like it's creating a different game <laughs> or changing a different game. Um, I mean, you know, people always have emotions about this stuff because we don't view ourselves as like automatons that can be replaced, you know, and 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 so there's always some sensitivity like, hey, this is not going to like replace me, right? No, it was never intended to. It's intended to augment. Like electricity isn't meant to replace us, but, you know, it's sure great to augment us the internet, cars, I mean, whatever invention, you know, we think about, it can augment our capabilities, our base capabilities, and enable us to be more productive, which is sort of where the U.S. has always shined anyways, productivity um, and, and developing countries. So, so you know, th that's like, you know, when people kind of go down that, you know, replacement side, um, or that replacement argument, it can be like if there's skilled labor, you know, it will replace unskilled labor. Sure, like robots will replace unskilled labor over time in, you know, in many places, you know, yada, that's kind of what we want. And, you know, I would think as a society, obviously it leaves a lot of jobs, you know, like, you know, a lot of people unemployable, but then they can go back to school and skill up. So if AI can also bring down the cost of education, like open courseware has, you know, and can do globally, and like you could be in some like village somewhere and do some open courseware, learn a bunch of stuff you couldn't otherwise, and then get a job and then get a job on Upwork and, you know, bail out. Amazing. That's kind of what we want. And it's leveled the playing field that was sort of set up unfairly. So so like there's this sort of skilled versus unskilled. And so some of the jobs that are considered skilled are now able to be done through AI in, in more ways. So that's definitely a change. Um, we just saw a company Chegg or something like that. Their earnings declined significantly and their share price dropped because of competition from open AI. Okay, so maybe their business model wasn't really using all of the human capabilities of the people working there or, or, or in their product. So there's definitely some like adjustment there. But on the other hand, like, you know, no one's complaining about self-driving cars, um, especially like one, because everybody knows if the thing, the tech works really well, like nobody really, especially <laughs> enjoys going on a commute and having to drive and, you know, pay attention and not, you know, whatever. And two, when you look at the safety comparison, like humans are horrible drivers. I mean, better than, you know, like, like a lemur or something that could, you know, <laughs> just some like gas pedal maybe and crash. So of course, better than like, you know, sort of there's like a base level, but like, it's not great. Like the track record for humans is not great. I would think in 50 years, you know, humans, it will be like illegal for humans to drive in many places. And like, because the AI is safe, like why would you endanger yourself and letting you drive? So, you know, we'll see. But basically, like, it's just a kind of a restructuring. But then there are also new capabilities that are built. So, for example, yesterday, uh, somebody put the, um, they got, they had access to the open AI model that can take 64,000 tokens. So they put the whole Great Gatsby in there. Just read the Great Gatsby, which it did in like, you know, whatever, a second or whatever it took. And it's like, cool, and write an epilogue, you know, write a, a unique epilogue. And it did. And it was like pretty cool. So the ability for you know computers to do pattern matching and crunch a large number you know amount of information uh, like that is is unparalleled, and that's what their digital you know you know zeros and ones and whatever that's what they're good at. Um, and and the, the human brain you know is structured differently. It's kind of like a parallel machine. It's you know we have great parallelism. So we're thinking of like a lot of things at once, and that's why we get these gut feelings of like you know, this thing kind of connected to that thing and boom, I have an idea. And so that's, you know, that can be enhanced by like shoving a bunch of data analysis capability into that, but it's not that parallelism isn't going to be replaced like tomorrow. And so jobs will just move over to those that prize, you know, creativity and that kind of synthesis and the, you know, value will erode from things that don't and that are repetitive, like, you know, bookkeeping or entering things into you know menus or whatever like these are these are you know things that can be uh you know automated at you know in a batch process way or you know in a scalable way that's really interesting i want to take it back to the developing world what you said about education that fits into this is really interesting because now we're going to have a lot of online education we already have a lot of online education and now we've got this personal tutor that i've found to just be totally like awesome for for like going through the complexity of what i go through without wasting other people's time um and uh 
And so now that whole thing is going to be wide open to hundreds of millions of people with an internet connection on their phone. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they can start get access to education. And there's so much like if you know how to find it, there's so much education out there that can teach you how to do the things you're already doing better. Um, yeah. And so but then tying that in with the demographic crisis, because we have a demographic crisis in Japan, China, United States. Well, actually, the United States is, has a replacement generation. The only two countries in the world that have a replacement generation are in the United States and in Mexico, mm -hmm. um, like even places like Brazil, like all, all of these countries are starting to go through. Uh, um, go, and I meant that in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, but in Africa, there's going to be a whole lot of a whole lot of countries that uh, that have. And so now all these people just have this access to this technology and it feels like there's going to be a, like a large, just huge wave of education that starts to happen. Uh, maybe not in absolute numbers, but in relative numbers, I think. Big oh, I hope so. I hope so. That was always so, you know, I got into AI. I realized I totally like launched into it with my dad. I didn't talk about my background, but I got into AI by way of big data, which so I started my career. I mean, I was a developer from like age nine or 10 or whatever, but like, like, you know, just kind of hacking away. I did a CS degree, a business degree. I got into management consulting in 2007. And I, my first project was piloting the data and analytics practice of that company, which is now like four or 500 people at PwC um, doing data and analytics. But at that time, it was like the first or one of the first projects we did. And so we had a team of statisticians in India and then the US side, we would meet with the clients you know, get the data, profile it, set, you know, kind of hypothesize things, with value we could get out of it, send it to India, they build the models overnight, we wake up in the morning, present to the client. And so that was like small data, that was like databases, like, you know, SQL, like we were, we're working with Pepsi, and they had like all their data in SQL databases, and we were analyzing it to see like, how successful was, you know, Diet Pepsi Max, the, the launch of that product, did it cannibalize other products, like that was the kind of thing we did. And then a couple of years later, I was a VC at OpenV Venture Partners. I was their first associate to look at big data in 2011. And basically, we took that, you know, modeling uh, ability, and now you could apply, and the Hadoop came out. So you could apply it to very, very large data sets that were, you know, uh, you, like your whole data warehouse, or even they called it a data lake. Like just take all the data you have, like wherever it is and just throw it somewhere. And then you can run these, you know, batch processes on it. And so it was like, cool, well, what can we do with like all this data and, you know, volume and variety and velocity, like you could do like things you couldn't do before. And, you know, and so, and, and companies that obviously were really good at that, you know, would win and would outcompete the others. And then later, you know, Spark came out, which basically let basically let people do the same kind of things, but much faster because it was in memory. Long story short, then we got to generative AI and and so on. But but basically, um, this has been kind of um, yeah, this has been kind of a long time coming. But the thing is that that kind of sticks uh, sticks uh, or, or that that has remained consistent is these are all like computers doing pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. You know, like the first thing I learned as an engineer or developer, you know, when I was a kid, the first cool thing was regular expressions where you could take a document and just kind of find patterns. And that was a way of extracting information from data. And now we're just kind of moving, moving up that chain. But it's like a really long lead in to talk about education, which like over the years, as um, as I you know thought about AI and the kind of inevitable job losses that are going to happen due to this automation, and which is a real problem and definitely one that I'm pretty concerned about, I realized that the only possible solution for humanity is education. You know, mm -hmm. those people who have lost their jobs as like truck drivers because the AI is driving the truck or whatever, like, cool, go, go to school, go to, I went to a community college, people in the US um, can, I realize other countries don't have as many, which I'll talk about, but in the US, you definitely can, the US has more like institutes of higher education per capita than like most other countries, so you can always find a community college, whatever, you retrain as, you know, for something where humans needed, so there's that, and then the bigger unlock is what you said about, and what we were talking about earlier is, like, what if you could just do community college or something, you know, like a high, you know, like technical professional education, mm -hmm. literally anywhere? What if you could do it in a developing country, Bangalore, wherever, and you could do it online or in, in a rural area? Like, um, 
But if you could do it through your phone in Africa, because a lot of these places don't have like great internet yet, but they have phones. So like, what if you could do that? Well, that that would be the solution. And people who are diligent can kind of go after it. Yeah. And, and this was really pointing to me. I really realized this in 20, 2009, I was working in Abu Dhabi on a consulting project. And we had like a like a chai wala. We had like a guy who brought the tea. Um, and and like he was like an Indian national working in Abu Dhabi under tough conditions. Like literally his job was bringing tea. That was it. And then he got a computer. Somebody gave him a computer and he had internet access. And in 2009, he's like, hey, I have a computer and I have internet. What should I do? And I'm like, ooh, ooh, I don't I don't know. Google something. But like what? But Google what? Um, I'm not sure. And then I'm like, you know what, go to like, um, I, I think I pointed him to Khan Academy, I'm like just start with Khan Academy. It's free and like you'll learn stuff and then like go from there. And now today, you know, 2023, now we have like, I mean, 14 years later, we have a lot of like professional education options that you could do either free or like paid, you know, but like cheap. And so you could basically go or just like read docs and become a developer or whatever obviously it's not perfect i mean it's it's but but basically like making you know edu ai help with education and you know help people through a learning process um and and then on the other side to a point where they can do a certificate do a professional certificate and like you know show that they are a licensed you know microsoft sql server administrator whatever like boom um then then that then they become more employable and that has to be the way things go i mean technology both created the problem but it can create the solution and it is sort of dropping cost throughout so the cost of that community college that i went to in michigan you know many years ago you know, now you could do that, presumably do that kind of education in another country or in another area or for, or even, the, you know, for just much less cost and then use that to get a job. Like that has to be the solve for this sort of problem of, you know, unskilled labor becoming obsolete over time. That's really interesting. I would love to take this into a discussion of me as a non-technical person using GPT-4, I've been I've been trying to get it to code for me. It's worked out pretty well. Now I've got it into into sheets. Um, so I've got the G. There's a whole bunch of people who built functions onto sheets, Google Sheets itself, to go start doing data inquiries. Um, and so this kind of coding thing, it's like I've just been making toys so far. Um, and those toy, toys work at this lower level. And now the thing I'm running into is the actual system architecture of how the hell do you connect this toy to a larger thing and create a software development? Do you have any advice for those of us who are non-technical to understand how to build a system like that? Yeah, I mean, look, like I mean, I've been in startups for now 10 years. I'm on my second company. The hard part of coding is figuring out, or the hard part of building something useful, whether it's for a startup or for an internal or for a hobby, right? Finding it's finding something that you know it, it solves a problem um, in the world. Because once you have like the requirements, like you know, hey, I need a system that can like do this specific thing. Cool. Then it's more like a how do I code that, and then you can kind of break it down in pieces, and then you know kind of execute. But that's, and I'm I'm kind of maybe answering the, the next level question from like, hey, how do I like integrate X into a system to like, how do you build something that produces value for yourself or for other people? Um, and, and that's really where, that's a, this is a very human thing. You know, that that's sort of like where product management comes in, where they start talking to business users and saying, hey, what if you had the ability to do X, what would you do with it or why, you know, but um, but basically like, let's let's kind of maybe fast forward mentally to a point where everyone has access to like huge models where you can like feed in, like, let's say you could just like write a sentence and it'll build an entire application. Well, not a sentence, but maybe that's part of, you know, the interesting part about this. You can give it a spec and it'll build an application or you can take your code and the entire system and it'll ingest the system and show you where to fit it in. But all of like the whole part, like the thing where we stay alive and relevant is like, what is the prompt? Yeah. You know, like what is the question? Like when you put in one sentence into these tools, you get a one sentence quality answer back. Like, let's say you put in just, you know, mathematically, you put in 10 words 
and in a sentence, and it receives 10 information units and it spits out an answer for those 10. Well, what if you give it a really detailed spec or something incredibly complex like the Great Gatsby, you know, as an example, 64, however many tokens it was, if you can give it a really detailed spec, you'll get a really detailed product or result from it. And that's basically like where we as humans, you know, you're you're talking to people who are synthesizing solutions or, or problems that they have, and you're synthesizing solutions, and you're kind of working with the machine and it's kind of getting like the legwork done and, and just moving things faster. I think that's where from a just from a software development standpoint, that's where things you know will go. And then when you have questions, they can kind of help you diagnose and kind of pinpoint and help you logically break it down. But there are these still these points where you need like a strategy for like. What is this component supposed to do? What is that, you know, like, where does that interface? So it's all about writing a really good spec. Mm, that's really interesting. Cause that's, it's like, now that we have this third brain, we have first brain, second brain, third brain, first brain is our brains. Second brain is the note-taking uh, third brain is AI now. Um, and so we've got this like super brain that we can use, but only if we really, really nail the context that we give it. Um, and that's something that I've learned when I did make my forays into programming was that it's not, it's not the computer that's at fault. It's me every time it was me every time. Um, and like, and then there's like this little one thing where I put a little parentheses and, and it, that, that was the issue. It was, it, and so it's like, um, and that, so, it, you know, and that goes into like our frontal cortex and the, the prefrontal cortex and like abstraction and just this kind of crazy ability to make all these um, ideas come into reality. But I think the the real challenge for that for a lot of people, particularly if we're creative, is just like the disconnect between what we have in our head and then what actually works out there in the real world. Yeah, um, I don't know your thoughts on that. It's a huge disconnect. I mean, I I'm not a great and like I don't consider myself like a great engineer. I've met and worked with great engineers, and it's amazing to see them like literally 10, 100x or whatever create more value than me kind of puttering along. But but I've coded in you know 14 languages over the years. I've always enjoyed it, um, um, despite I guess limitations. And 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 that's like I've always taken that for granted personally. Well, not I mean I guess I didn't when I was like a kid, but I don't remember those times. Now as an adult, I'm like oh yeah, like if you have this idea, why don't you like throw it in the thought? You know, blah. Like I can visualize it, um, which which is helpful. But luckily, you know, the, the challenge in like coding, especially if, if I've been away for a while is like, I want to build this app, but like, I don't remember the conventions or like all oh, the conventions. I remember like this library was for Python two, but now in Python three, you have this other library and like, how do you implement it? Like, there's just a lot of like heavy lifting, kind of like really blocking and tackling that comes with coding that is like not fun. And we're honestly not optimal for it anyway. Um, so, so, you know, it's basically like, I would think of technical and non-technical not as like, like, A, you're a non-technical person, but it's kind of like, what level of like, can you ride a bike? Like, no, not at all. Well, how about a little bit? You can try a little bit, maybe try a bit more, maybe spend a weekend like riding around a park, maybe like, I mean, riding a bike obviously has only so many like levels of expertise, coding is broader, but like, you know, like you start kind of playing with it, which you're doing and it's great and you're kind of you know, trying it out. And, and then you get to a point where you're kind of like, okay, I think I can like kind of build a web app or whatever I need for my purposes. Most people are not designing like low level database software with like, you know, extreme demands and whatever. So like, you know, you can kind of be fluent. And, and so AI and this stuff will help people just a, a, a greater part of the population achieve some basic fluency around, you know, building software which would be great. I mean, it would be great if everyone could code or everyone, you know, who's professionally involved could, you know, build like little apps to help with their little, you know, their their tasks or like their day jobs or whatever. Like there's no there's no downside to having this skill. So I'm really glad that AI can kind of like kind of level us up to just, you know, make it easier to like, like you get less frustrated because like when you have that, you spend like hours and you realize that there's like a parenthesis missing, you just feel like, yeah, like that was a wasted, you know, you know, a waste of time. But yeah. if the AI can just pinpoint that, cool, then we can just all be productive together and move faster. There's, I don't see any downside of being better and more efficient at things 
that's sort of the enemy is waste. You know, the enemy is wasted human potential. And I think there's a heck of a lot more wasted human potential than like anything else, <laughs> you know, any other limitation in the world. I mean, if we really apply ourselves, we can figure pretty much anything out. That's why we're here as a species. But like, there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunities that are not, you know, people don't even know they, they could like go that far. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, especially last month or so is, it seems like so many of the limits that we had on us as a species and as a, on us as individuals and groups uh, was has just been unlocked, basically. So there's like a huge, huge potential that can happen. But yeah. with that potential, there's a sort of tyranny of potential as well, because once you start to see the potential, it scares most people. So like courage and uh, bravery are, are good good values to to incorporate as we move into this next step because it seems like it's going to be it's not bad or good but it's like it's different it's gonna be, it feels we're moving into a different age basically yeah i think there's two kind of factors at play or at least two factors that come to my mind there's you know it's it's always complicated but one is our brains are meant to fear losing much more than value winning. And so, I mean, this is like a survival instinct. When you see something new, the first, you know, idea isn't usually like, oh my God, like I can like, you know, make so much money with this or whatever. It's more like, oh, in what way could this hurt me? That's like the first instinct, which is good. I mean, it's normal that, you know, people who just run blindly into things, you know, often don't make it. So it's, it's good that it's like, yeah, okay, like, how could this hurt me? But then then you see adoption over time. And then the adoption over some amount of time becomes like nearly, you know, 100% or whatever becomes really high, because people have sort of tried it out, they sort of experimented, and everybody kind of knows that, like, you know, today, online dating works really well. But like, 10 years ago, it's like, oh, it's kind of a weird thing. Weird, creepy people are gonna like, kill me. And it's like, yeah, what are the chances of that? Very, very low, not zero, but very low. You know, so there's, there's, you know, that that's definitely one thing is just kind of that initial caution, you know, that, that, um, that comes from this stuff. And then the second is, you know, people have a kind of the converse of that is people have a hard time, I think, socially acknowledging or talking about how good things can be. It's really like, like when, you know, it's rare that we're in like a social conversation, be like, hey, can you imagine how awesome the future will be? Like, imagine like 500 years ago, people didn't have like indoor plumbing or air conditioning, or whatever. And now we have it. Uh, and now like, you know, you can get stuff on Amazon for super cheap. And it's like building China or wherever, the factories and robots and whatever. It's like, can you imagine like how awesome things can be in 50 years with this stuff and it's just like you know you end up sounding kind of like a nut like if you're like too bullish you know yeah. and your people are like well well yeah but you're well, hold on but the environment and you know yeah of course of course but how like how much upside can there be um it's 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 just like kind of a bit of a human tendency but but um but i mean you know what do we know i mean we're emerging with computers like started with you know smart i mean started with like you know computers and stuff of course and mechanical devices but then with the phone you know that became a big thing because now you have this like robot side we're like cyborgs we have this like thing with us and now we have this other thing that's like has some level of intelligence or whatever some level of interactivity on top of that and like these layers keep adding and we're just you know um, for the people who are, who do, you know, who are more, like you said, courageous and bold and willing to like take the risk or whatever, you know, I'm not saying they're rewarded in every case, but by and large, people who bet on tech are rewarded in, you know, different ways, not just financially, but also, you know, just in terms of the ways of thinking and, and, and there's that. And then the, and then the, um, and I realize it's sort of like a monologue, so I'll cut it short, but the, then there's the other side, which is just the limitations of our brain, because, once there's more data, like people get overwhelmed more and more and more because our brain, like that parallelism, like it, it can't handle like doom scrolling on TikTok or whatever. Like you're, it, like our dopamine gets like all like crazy and then we get like frazzled and then we can't think long term. So there's definitely like, like we're as the data kind of increases and these capabilities increase, people are like, I've seen people on Twitter like, oh my gosh, it seems like some game-changing things coming out every week. Are we like, 
it's overwhelming. And so there's that sort of, you know, nervous system response to like, ah, so like we also have to figure out better strategies to just like, you know, consume these capabilities given our human limitations. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good points we could go from here. I like to think about the the cyborg question as the as writing. Writing is something so fundamental to us now, but at one point it was invented and like it just and you like you said that it had that adoption curve where only a small small percentage of people could write and read and then slowly grew out. Um, and that that I, the, the, there's a term called psychotechnology that I got from John Verveke, who's a cognitive scientist who studies this stuff, and he talks about. Um, uh, psychotechnologies and writing as a psychotechnology, and now it feels like it feels like we're on the precipice of a of of a, that type of change to our brains in terms of what writing did to our brains, and now we're like the cyborg thing that you mentioned, which uh, is already like the line has already been crossed, and it's an interesting conversation, maybe not for this this podcast about uh, kind of like uh, transhumanism and and that type of stuff, um, and uh, where where those limits are and what what all that is, but um, and then. You talked about the overwhelm nervous system response or like the nervous system response to overwhelm. Um, and that feels like that's the key. That's the key thing that in order for we, us to go through this thing that we're going to go through, it's the the overwhelm, um, both the exciting and fear. Um, and that is a big challenge because every day, you know, we're just taking in more and more and more. And then a new big thing comes and our society is going through some changes as well. Um, and each one of those things is like, oh, I need a minute for that. And, and then this brings into mind something you were talking about earlier, which is like, not only is the phone there, the phone's like connected to our thing, but then also all the crazy virtual connections between that phone, like all the cell phone towers, all the, like all the infrastructure, all the Starlink that goes into that and how that's just basically like unseen. Uh, and all the stuff you were doing as an engineer, it's like all that stuff's unseen. And it's like, it's, it's, it's all has an effect. I'd be curious. I don't have a specific question, but be curious. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a good point. Technology is flat. Well, good technology is flat. Like bad technology, a bad UX, you're like, why do I have to click on this button here and then like circle that thing up in the right corner and oh, just jump to the left. Like that's like a terrible UX, of course, but like good UX is super flat. So like right now we're having this conversation. I'm like yelling into like a TV screen in, in New York or whatever, like a monitor and a mic that's like decoding. And then the, that signal is being split up into like a bunch of different streams that are being like sent through radio or whatever uh, wires or whatever, however Fios works. And then, and then they're reassembled and some packets are dropped and some, are, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's like, there's so many layers our brain can't like imagine it. Um, one day I tried to sit down and my, my last company market me is I tried to like draw out the whole company in a diagram from like, you know, content that gets eyeballs to people go through a lead generation process to the software, to the components that, that, which then is like, I mean, it's just, it was like a weird diagram and maybe we could have like an AI actually map, like a thing, like just map, like the entire value chain or entire life cycle of like a thing that I do all the time. Like, where was this like coffee grown? And then like, how was it shipped? I mean, we, we can't imagine this stuff. It's too, there's too much. Um, but, but, but that's, you know, that's normal. That, that's what tech does. And then we, with our like worried little, you know, primate brains, we're always thinking of like, yeah, but like, I can't do the blah. And then it's like, oh, someone should build the blah. And then we build the blah. And then it's like, oh, cool. Now I can like, do that and my life just got better i think it really kind of comes down to goals too you know like different people have different goals um and you know not just financial but you know human goals and personal relationship or whatever and so you know when we're you know young and we're just starting out with you know not much and we want to hit this goal and that goal and the goals change but different people have different goals. And the goal of an AI is probably going to be like if we had an AGI, artificial general intelligence, it would have most likely loftier goals than most people. And it would like, you know, start doing that. And, and it, you know, we would, but, but, you know, humans are happy when we like have like a journey and a struggle and like an adventure. And then we reach the goal and then we identify another goal and then we struggle and journey and reach it. And we really enjoy this kind of thing. And so we're just gonna keep doing that, but just people are gonna have different goals. And, you know, like 
back in the day, YouTube was, uh, I think, the first company to go from founding to acquisition in like 18 months. Mm. It was acquired for whatever, 150 million, something that was bonkers at the time. Now it's like a friggin' like that be all end all of all like television and you know the future of all media like kind of works on youtube and netflix but you know i don't know how many billions or hundreds of whatever however that's measured but at the time it was like zero to 18 months and that was like it made the news because people couldn't believe it i mean it was like oh my gosh you could like build a thing with like a couple people and now it's like you know now you're rich or whatever but like you know that was the goal then now you could probably do that like what was it what chat gpt itself went from like zero to like millions of users in like you know no time at all and then in the future maybe could you do that in a day could you have something like launch and be used by millions like by the next day i don't know so there's definitely some you know some different goals and and uh and ai is a as a technology kind of doesn't care, it'll help us reach whatever goals, you know, we, we kind of guide it to. And then it's sort of like, okay, well, what goals do we want? So as long as like, you know, humans are setting goals in a responsible way, and it's not like, I want to get rich to the detriment of everyone. And, (laughs) you know, like, as long as it's not like that, then we could all presumably be successful with, you know, tech, AI and tech in general. And that would be a really cool world. Like if nobody was, like left behind or the people who like felt behind were like helped and, you know, got additional mentoring and resources and social support and healthcare for free or what, like, that would be amazing. Like what, what, then every person, every person is talented at at least one thing, but probably many things. We have different talents. So like we could just use those talents a hundred percent and use like a hundred percent of our brain all the time, but not in a way that that sounds like really scary, not in a way like, we're like farmed, but like in a way where we're feeling fulfilled and that'd be super cool. And then honestly, what what would be the next step? AGI is like, cool, good luck guys. I'm not going to go like do some galaxy hopping or whatever, like stuff we can't imagine, but like, we'll we'll be like, no, that's cool. We're like, I'm happy with my goals. I've got my awesome life and my kids are well and cool. Good for you. Good for me. Everyone wins. Like I, I, maybe it's a you know maybe it's a bit naive there's like other things that could happen but like i don't know it seems like that'd be a cool place to get to <laughs> yeah can i get a ride there too ask the agi can i get a ride <laughs> well you know but we might not want to <laughs> you know like some people are like supremely curious and like elon musk wants to understand the workings of the universe I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm like, you know, but definitely less ambitious than Elon Musk, like just, of course, by like a degree of magnitude. But like, I want to like learn some stuff, but I don't want to like, I want to like, you know, there's a lot of things I don't want to do because like, I don't know, like, why would I, why would I like live on Saturn? Like, like, I'll try to live in Brooklyn. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Living on Saturn or Mars would be uh, not the most fun for the first like 25 generations. Well, Mars is a great example. Like some people want to live on Mars. I do not want to live on Mars. I mean, like if it was like 500 years in the future, Mars is awesome. Yeah. Like, cool. But like, but some people do. And and like, you know, it, it's awesome that we have people. But yeah, not me. <laughs> That's not my goal. <laughs> I want to hear more about goals and how does like, how do LLMs think about goals or are they just at the task level? And I guess, what is the difference between a task and a goal? I guess a task is, is more, uh, a more concrete implementation of a specific part of a goal. What, what do you think? I have to admit, um, there are definitely more informed people than me to cover the workings of LLMs. I've read LLM code, but I'm not like, there are definitely researchers that can kind of think about it. I think from what I understand, there's a big debate on like, well, is it really just like, it's a language model, it's not thinking, or is it, but it's probably not. So like, is it's not really visualizing, it's kind of like determining in a very intelligent way the most likely word to come after the other word and then the next word after that and like patterns and stuff um so i don't i'm i'm more on the camp of the current llms like the current gpt4 or whatever it's just really really good at that but but it can do it at a scale that our brains cannot so that's sixty four thousand you know limit which you know in the future will be like laughable like oh my gosh like we're in the you know, feed in all the books in humanity and it'll do it like immediately or whatever. Like it'll write all the epilogues in parallel <laughs> for whoever might want to do that. But like, 
like I, I think it's really good at like very large scale data analysis and pattern recognition. And I only say that is because like that's been like what it's been doing for the last 20 years of my you know life or career or whatever, 25 years, ever since the regex days. It's like doing really awesome regex regular expressions mm-hmm. but like does it think does it have goals like we do i would argue today no but in the future i would think it will get there um and 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 then it, it really comes down to like ai safety which is like what goals do we teach if this is our like child our child that is meant to you know um make us obsolete or surpass us or whatever like what kind of values do we teach it? Because at the end of the day, a lot of human stuff comes down to values. Like do we want to, like everybody wants more resources. Do we want to like aggressively take it and like, you know, knuckle, white knuckle or whatever, elbow our way in and like, ha ha ha, I've got it first and compete. And in some situations, in situations with low resources, we want to compete. We all do. We're like, it's a survival mechanism. But in situations with high resources, we want to collaborate. So if we can kind of you know, have a world like that, then the AI presumably would naturally lean toward collaboration too. That would be cool. Um, and and that's like, I don't know, we sort of have to kind of nudge it and nudge the world and nudge the AI in the direction that we want it to go, which, you know, usually scientists are thoughtful about that stuff and, and you know, think through it. But um, it's never guaranteed. But, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist, um, obviously. So I think we, I think it, it can come to pass. But um, yeah, there's definitely a lot, there's definitely a lot of research that's been done. Um, my friend Richard Mala is at the Future of Life Institute. He's been thinking about this and writing about this for over a decade. Um, and they're a nonprofit out of Boston. Um, I highly encourage, you know, people to read their stuff. I, I need to reread some of it too. But they're like future projections of the world and how AI fits into it specifically. Uh, I really loved the analogy as AI as a child. Um, uh, and I'm trying, there's some Greek tragedy where the father has a wife and then the son, Epidus, Epidus. Uh, I don't know. There's some tragedy where basically the son, Epidal problem, where the son tries to kill the father so he can mate with the, the wife, basically. Um, oh, Oedipus. Yeah. Oedipus, Oedipus, Oedipus. There it is. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to have a sort of Oedipus uh, type of thing with AI as as the father of AI, uh, having this child that's now going to surpass us in ways that we can't even imagine yet. Um, what do you think? That's, that's the fear. That's the risk. And I mean, the risk is real, of course, like I, 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 how we can't say the risk isn't real. The risk is real. I'm not sure. I mean, depends on what resources are constrained. So like, is it energy? Well, I guess there's like abundant energy from the sun, especially. And if we could have like, or, and maybe different sources that, you know, or be, you know, whatever, like wind or whatever, I don't know. But if it's renewable energy, maybe we don't have to compete with the AI. If it's like all like, we have a live in a coal based world and you end up competing, of course. So that's one thing. Water, water is going to be a constraint. Like does AI need a lot of water? Maybe not, but what do I know? Um, so there's, you know, if 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 the if we can kind of assuming that there's going to be an AGI, either an AGI that emerges that's like a super brain, or um, or the singularity Ray Kurzweil has written about, which is like humans and the AI like merging into one unit, like the Borg or something, whatever. User analogy. Then then yeah, I mean that's you know then then we that can kind of play on different scenarios. But but I always think of, again, optimism here. I would think of oil. So what I've read, and I have not worked in oil, so I cannot corroborate it. But what I've read is that there's more oil available today than there was in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But how is that? Because we're mining it. Well, yeah, but technologies are getting better and better at extracting and less waste. And so I always think of waste as the enemy. you know. And again, there's like, massive amount our brains cannot picture the opportunity cost of things it's always hard for us hard to picture the amount of waste currently happening and the amount of inefficiency and we can only see it when we like shine an objective light to it and say hey this thing is super efficient this driving is super efficient and nobody died and this other one like yeah some people died oh my god then imagine the those people have died like their capabilities and their lives and what could have been and isn't and you know so i think there's a lot of waste and i think tech just sort of in the best case, siphons away waste, and then everybody just has more. And I think you know AI can kind of help with that. 
Um, and then, you know, like we're going to hit our faculties or like the limitations of our brains, of course, and are hitting and like we can augment and augment. And then at some point, like we just can't augment as much anymore compared to how fast the computer or AI can rewrite itself or whatever. And then, and then it'll go and then that's why it'll have loftier goals It'll have loftier, you know, more powerful capabilities. And then we'll be like ants to it. And they'll be like, oh, that's or it's like, are we like the dog? Are we like a, a favored dog? Or are we like an ant that gets stepped on? I don't know. There's definitely, you know, range of options, but we certainly have a lot of waste in the world. We have a lot of suffering, needless suffering, a lot of starvation, diseases. Like there's a lot, like the, the future is here, but it's not widely distributed mm. as, it, you know, since, uh, somebody said, it, Nicholas Bonaparte or whatever, somebody said it. Um, and and so like right now we're living in a not widely distributed future. I'm glad that the future is getting a little bit more widely distributed. It, it should, and people have so much potential, you know, unlock that that this can unlock. Cool. Uh, we'll, so we'll take about five more minutes. Uh, really interesting stuff on low resources, uh, no collaboration, high resources. You have collaboration and how that fits into AI. Uh, I really like the idea of waste as the enemy. Um, uh, and then there's there's a kind of another take on that, which is like growth, because uh, certain ideological things have an idea of growth being as a sort of enemy. Um, and mm. and uh, there is some sense to it where I think that it is accurate, for example, like cancer. Mm -hmm. Cancer is like a growth that just is created, you know, on an organ that's just like benign and then turns not benign and kills the host and everything like that. Um, and, uh, and then there's growth in technology and there's a lot of like tension around that within cities these days. Um, what do you think about this balance between, between that, that sort of tension where there's like waste is one enemy, then there's growth. What do you think about those relationships? I guess, you know, I haven't heard to be true though. I haven't read or heard a lot about just growth maybe because i work in tech startups and all the vcs are like grow 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 like faster i have definitely seen of course downsides like if i i guess it depends how you know like if often this actually happens with vcs now that i've said that example they'll be like a cool company they throw a bunch of money at it and like two years later it's kaput because it's just like everyone tried to do everything it was completely disorganized and the whole thing kind of blew up. And, you know, I, I've definitely experienced that personally as well, unfortunately, but, but it, you know, that can happen. I don't, I, I don't, I would, I would argue that the, it wasn't the growth as just growth as the growth. It's like a vac, like, so there's a vector, there's a magnitude and a direction of cancer. The direction is bad. It can kill you and the magnitude can be strong. So like it more like the vector, it's more like what direction are we growing in? And as a society too, like, uh, you know, Facebook, like led to people getting glued to Facebook, led to good things too, but also people getting glued to Facebook and addiction and then TikTok and whatever, like people are like, you know, people are addicted to becoming influencers in the US. Like in China, people want to be like, kids want to be astronauts or whatever in the US, they want to be influencers. Yeah. There's some study about that. Like, I, you know, but like, but, but, you know, this is like, the these are value statements and value is actually wisdom. Like value comes from values associated with wisdom. And, and it's like kind of people over diff multiple cycles seeing what did work and what did not work. And so I think that's where, like, that's where we're the most valuable. Like, if we could all be teachers of ourselves and of others, and you know, raise our kids right and future generations to just have, like, grow in the right, like, just point them in the direction at whatever magnitude. Um, I, I think I think that's good. And when we don't do that, it's bad. I mean, it's kind of, you know, then then we, you know, then we create people who might act in a cancerous way to society using that kind of earlier analogy and. That's, you know, I mean, stuff's going to happen, but we can get more efficient. Maybe if we have better systems of exchanging wisdom, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. um, that never hurts, uh, like, you know, reading and stuff. <laughs> there is a great um, video that that uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, John Verveke, made about his, because he's been studying a lot of AI from the, from the philosophy angle. And his main thing was like, let's build, communities together where we can build out our wisdom and understand how we can actually adapt to these things um and he wrote he had a very interesting uh kind of very emotional which is not normal for him 
uh, monologue on on like this is not happening right. He he was he was taking the more pessimist view is that we haven't got these wisdom circles in place yet. So to to really really prepare us for ourselves and that, that that we should definitely double down on that. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like these are absolutes. Like are we wise or not wise or do we have good community? I don't know. It depends. I mean. Yeah. I, you know, one thing I really appreciated in Abu Dhabi is the, I was only there for a few months, so I'm not an expert, but but there are a lot of great family values. And, and kind of think of it, China too. Um, I have, my brother is in Hong Kong. His wife is from Shanghai. We have a lot of Chinese relatives in that way. Um, yeah, a lot of great family values. And also in the US, you have communities with great family. And then in all these places, you have bad stuff and that are like, you know. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it's just... Um, I would, I mean, if we had better tools to share wisdom and teachings um, and some, but, you know, honestly, some of it is just like experience too. Some of it is like to learn, like it's one thing to read about it, which is really important to get those base stories and then, you know, go out and experience it in the world and have those disappointments and see the downside. And then, you know, it's just, I think we will keep evolving and finding better ways to to kind of do this. And um, I don't know, I'm definitely in the optimist camp. I don't think we're going to like blow ourselves up uh, as a species, but it's possible. So I can't say we won't, but um, you know, I think the more likely scenarios, we're just going to keep evolving and getting better. And, you know, just things like we just keep building layers on layers and that's mm -hmm. what we're like little builders. That's what we do. That's what got us here. Minecraft. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like there's a saying, and I guess this is a good point for me to stop yammering, but it's not the strongest who survive or the smartest or the fastest. It's the most adaptable. And and that's, I mean, that literally Darwinian. It's the ones that adapt to change the best, survive more than brute strength or whatever. And that's, you know, that's what we're good at. I think so. I think we got a shot. Millions of years of evolution in that. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Aki. Um, I would love it for the audience to find out more if you have anything you're you're doing right now that you want some more visibility on. Um, I'm sure they'd love to hear. Sure. Um, well, um, I'm personally right now, <laughs> I was in AI for 10 years and then I left and it got really hot and I got the crypto and it crashed. Mm. So I'm doing like, I don't know, uh, I'm interested in obviously following the AI stuff. I'm also interested in um, crypto, not to shill any particular one, but we're building infrastructure on Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin can help in many ways. I don't think it's like the be all end all that is like going to save everything, but I think it's a valuable piece of technology. I would encourage people to just read up more on AI neuroscience, which I don't have expertise in, but I love reading about and, uh, and crypto and stuff. And yeah, just um, yeah, happy to find more ways to be helpful you know to the world and if i guess if anyone has any questions or whatever if there's a way to contact me i, I will try my best to respond and um yeah just wishing everyone you know good learnings and you know try try this stuff out it's like it's, just try it out and my mom my mom uses ai every day for her, like a little business she's running and so uh, does my dad at this point so like uh, they can do it everyone can do it no excuses <laughs> um try it out <laughs> thanks Aki. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Plain Sight, presented by Invisible. If you liked what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button and consider sharing with your network. And if you're interested in learning more about how Invisible helps teams cut costs and scale, visit our website at invisible.co. See you next time.